0: morning everyone. Uh, for about four months, we have been looking at First and Second Thessalonians to give us an understanding of how to live our faith in challenging and difficult times. And we have started every message off with a quick review of our picture of cold fingers juggling green reindeers to remind us of what message? The Gospel. And it reminds us of the Gospel message because it tells us the five things that we need to have or we, five things that we can communicate to people who are wondering, what is this whole thing about Jesus Christ? And we can repeat to them and tell them it's about creation It's about the fall, it's about God's judgment or justice, it's about grace, and it is about a response. So we have been well armed for four months now to be able in five to 10 seconds tell someone what the whole gospel message is by remembering this picture of cold fingers juggling green reindeer. Creation fall, God's judgment upon that fall and sin, the gospel, The whole message of Jesus Christ and a response. Do you believe this? And this week as I was thinking through this, I was uh, putting this all together, and I thought to myself, how many times can I share this picture and say something different? Because after four months, if you've been here for four months, you probably could get up here and go, Tim, I'll take care of that. I mean, I got your notes right here. I know it says, cold fingers juggling green reindeer, and I have it written down because I am prone to forget. You could probably do it. And I thought, well, what new thing could I invent this week to share with you how cool this little picture is and how it can help you as you witness and evangelize? And I realized that um, there's really nothing. I kind of have gone through the whole gamut. I've shared everything I know about the picture of uh, cold fingers juggling green reindeer. And my hope is, next week will be our last message in uh, the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, but my hope is that in six months time, I can pop that picture up there and you go, I know exactly what that is. That has to do with something. And I'm, I'm pleased if you just know it deals with something. And then your mind will start thinking, oh yeah, Those look like cold fingers juggling green reindeer. And my desire is that it would be so part of your thinking about sharing the gospel that it just happens, that you don't even have to think about it. It is just a natural expression of your faith when you share the gospel with others. You are well-prepared. You are well-armed. You are well-equipped. You are well-trained to share the gospel that can have life-changing effect in someone's life, and they can become saved. Not through the eloquence of your words or being able to answer every argument they have, but that you are able to present the truth. That is all God calls you to do, is present the truth, give an answer for why you hold on to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't have to be long, it doesn't have to be eloquent, and it doesn't have to answer every objection. It simply has to present the truth of why are we in such trouble and how do we get out of it. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of creation, fall, judgment, the gospel, or grace, and a response. So this week, as I've been working on uh, Second Thessalonians, and we're starting in uh, Chapter Three of Second Thessalonians and the sixth chapter, and we're going all the way to cha- uh, verse fifteen. And this whole week sort of has felt like um, uh, the best way I can describe it is a funk. Has anyone ever had a week where you just sort of have been in a funk where? Nothing feels like it's going right. Nothing feels exciting. You look outside and you're expecting to see the mountains when you wake up and you see Los Angeles. And you're like, I can't even look up into the sky because that usually brightens my day. And, you know, I see the mountains and it just sort of just, I don't know, for me it just is exciting and I don't even have that. And I'm just sitting around going, oh, what a... What a funk. I mean, and this whole year has felt like a funk, and it doesn't seem like it's, doesn't even seem like the elections are gonna end it. It just seems, I don't know, who knows what the future's gonna bring, and it just sorta gets you into this mentality of blah. That's the best way I can describe it. Has anyone ever experienced the blahs? And I'm not even talking spiritual life, I'm just talking living, right? And we can all raise our hand because I know all of you have. Okay, don't be embarrassed. We all experience that blah of life, that blah of relationships, that blah of work, that that blah of oh, I don't want to, I don't even want to go online and look at Facebook because who knows what news stories are just gonna blah all over me that day when I woke up in a good mood. And at those times. I think God has given us the church and his word and the Holy Spirit and people to encourage us through those just funky moments of life. And um, I said, God, I need someone to help me out of that funky blah feeling that I've got going on. And and I said, how do I get out of it? Basic question How do I get out of the blah of Christian living, of just living in a culture, a society during a time that just feels like it just beats you up all the time? How do I get out of that, God? And he said, Well, he didn't say, but obviously he led me and said, Basically, did you read the text this morning that you're preaching on? You know, on Sunday, did you read that? I said, Well, yeah, I've read it. I've been reading it for months, and you know, I've been preparing, I've been studying for months for this. Uh, As I do every message, yeah, I've read it. And this unbelievable conviction came over me. And he says, okay, I know you've read it. I know you're ready to preach it. But do you believe it? And there was that moment where my experiences and my faith didn't quite line up. And I had to go back to the text we're looking at this morning and go, okay, Lord, what do you have in here to show me to live my life in a victorious way that changes my outlook on everything else? And I remember having this exact same conversation with multiple people. They come to me and say, Tim, I've got this block. I'm going through. How do I get out of this funk that I'm in? This, this rut, this feeling of always kind of getting beat around every corner and I look to the future and I don't see hope. How do I get out of that funk? And my number one answer, because if you've ever come to me I'll tell you exactly what to do. And it works every single time. Every single time it gets you out of the funk and every single time it is spot on from God. What he says to do and what he says this morning to do is basically put your nose to the grindstone and be faithful and work. Do what I've called you to do. There is no grand secret to get out of the funk than do what you're called to do. There's no special verse to look to to encourage you to memorize. It is do what I've called you to do. And God says, okay, Tim, what did I call you to do? I said, you called me to be an inspiration and encouragement to everyone who's there on a Sunday morning, but I don't feel like it. He says, it doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. Do what I've called you to do. And that is to put your nose to the grindstone and push forward with what God has called you to do. And God has called each of us to a variety of things. God has called some of us to be parents. God has called some of us to be teachers. He's called some of us to work in in tough jobs. He's called some of us to work in dangerous jobs. He's called some of us to retirement, which means we have lots of babysitting to do, basically. Lots of babysitting. But he's called each of us to a task. Generally, I can say he's called you to live your life in a way that reflects Jesus Christ. That's, That's the common denominator we all have to live our life in a way that reflects Jesus Christ. But he calls us also very specifically to fill our niche in the body of Christ, to fill our role in the body of Christ. And that's gonna be different for everybody. Some people have a gorgeous voice and they can sing or a talent and they can play a musical instrument, or they just have a gift of serving and they, they love to cut grass. It may be wildly different for each of us, but that's the beauty of the body of Christ. But what's common to all of us, and especially to those that I have talked with that are in this funk, is they're doing nothing. They have gotten to a point where they start to feel sorry for themselves, and they do nothing. When I ask them, well, what is your, how do you express your faith? What opportunities are you making for yourself? Just don't wait for them to come, but which opportunities are you making? How are you serving? How are you loving? How are you giving of yourself? And the answer is always, I don't feel like it. And the light bulb goes on, and I say, I know exactly why. It's because you're not doing what the Lord has called you to do. You simply have stopped and ignored his voice. And this morning, Paul speaks to that loudly. He starts, and he he does it kind of in a roundabout way, but he's impressed upon this. He says in verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, I cannot think of a more attention-grabbing statement from Paul. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Do you think this is one of Paul's generic suggestions that he's presenting to the body of Christ? This is kind of like his personal advice. He goes, you know, there's God's Word and there's my personal advice. I'd like to share with you personal advice here? Or is he sharing God's command? The very word says command. It means order. It means dictate. It means law. God says through Paul to brothers and sisters, to the people who are united in faith, there is a type of character that you need to avoid at all costs. It's that character of the person who does nothing, but certainly has a lot to say, does nothing, but wow, when there's a moment to complain or argue or fuss, they are number one. They are the ones who can volunteer to fuss and complain and argue and carry on about what the world's problems are, but they're idle. They don't do anything. They're great at talking about it, but they don't do anything. And Paul says, keep away from that person. And notice he calls them believers. Keep away from that believer. He knows that they have genuine faith. They are just misguided in that moment of their life where they are doing nothing but complaining a lot. Doing nothing, but they are disruptive. They're not helping the cause of the gospel. They're not moving the cause of the gospel. They're not encouraging others. They're disruptive. They are, they're like, uh, has anyone had to start driving through Pueblo West, Purcell, and 50 yet? Anybody live out in that direction have to start driving there? Yeah, three, four times a day driving through there. That's going on until next October of 2021. 2021 my main way of getting to work is going to be disrupted and everyone is disrupted and everyone is trying to figure out how to turn left everyone is trying to figure out how to turn right everyone has no blinker fluid anymore and they it's disruptive now the goal is going to be amazing and This time in 2022, we will have forgotten about it. But right now, it's disruptive. So you know what disruptive means. It's your normal course of action, but something is in the way, and so you have to detour it. And it slows you down, and it stops your progress, and you now have to think about the intersection as opposed to just driving through it because you've done it a hundred times. It's disruptive. Paul says, brothers and sisters... That believer in your midst who is idle, not doing anything, and disruptive, I command you by the name of Jesus Christ. There is no greater name in which to command something but the God of heaven and earth, the Lord, creator, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end. By his name and his character, I command you. Stay away from that person. Don't give them the time of day. Encourage them, yes. Love them, yes. But don't get caught in the swirl of their funk, of their idleness, and of their disruptive character and speech. He goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, for you yourselves know, because he's going to give us an example of the right way of doing it. He says for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Paul's talking about himself. Paul was there only for a matter of weeks, maybe a month at the most, probably at least two to three years after he wrote 2 Thessalonians. So he has not been there a lot. But he says, look at me. Look at my example. I was there with Timothy. I sent Timothy again, but I was there. You saw me for your very eyes how we were not idle when we were with you. We were not a bump on the log. We were not someone you had to carry. We were not someone who needed to be served. We served. We were not idle. We didn't sit around going, "Why? Well, I wish someone would do something. If God puts that in your mind, if God ever puts in your mind, well, I wish someone would do something about that, I know the answer. You. You're the answer. Well, I wish someone would do something about that. You're the answer. And Paul says, I was the answer. Every time you saw me in your midst, even though it wasn't long, the impression should be there that I was not idle. I gave of myself. He says further in verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. I didn't know if that was a problem back then, a dine and dash kind of situation, but Paul further defines that and says, On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling that we would not be a burden to you or to any of you. Paul puts his money where his mouth is and says, un- under no uncertain terms, if you want to know the opposite. Of what I am commanding you to avoid. Look at me. Look at me. How many of us could say that to, to a new believer who says, I don't know how to do prayer? Are you confident enough to say, Well, look at me. I'll show you how. Not in a prideful way. You know I'm not talking about that. I'm talking in a constructive, instructive way. Well, look at me. How, how do I get into reading my scripture? Can you say, well look at me, follow my example, and you can add any Christian activity in there. How do you give and tithe? Well, look at me. How do you serve? Well, look at me. How do you love someone? Look at me. How do you forgive? Look at me. How do you not get angry and want revenge? Well, look at me. How do you live at peace with others? Well, look at me. How do you treat others? Well, look at me. How do you treat the bums? Well, look at me. Whatever activity or character you want to put in there, can you say, well, look at me. Follow my example. Paul was confident that when it came to idleness and disruptiveness, if you look at Paul's life, you will see exactly how to behave, how to live, how to act. That's pretty confident. Not knowing him very well, but able to say, look at my example. The world gets it right sometimes when it looks at a Christian and a Christian has these great statements of faith, but they don't live it. And we all struggle with that because we have far more knowledge than we can put into practice. We know far more about God and the living of the Christian life than we put into practice. We know how far we fall short. We know that the church is indeed full of hypocrites. We know the church is full of liars and deceivers. We know the church is full of broken people because that's who God calls into his family to redeem and challenge and change the lost, the broken, a sinner. But the world gets it right when it says your message and your actions don't match. Paul says when it comes to a believer in your midst where the actions and the testimony don't match, you've got to stay away from that person. If they're idle, if they don't do, but they have lots of things to say, and they cause conflict, stay away from that person. Take my example. Serve, 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 give, 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 don't be a taker. Don't ask. And I know there was a politician, and I'm not making this about politics, but there was a politician at one time that said, don't ask what your country can do for you right? But what you can do for your country. And in spite of all politicalness aside, that is a beautiful statement of how believers are to treat the church and one another in the church. Don't come looking for what can be done for you, but go looking for what you can do for others. What a beautiful principle that Paul says, you saw me do. I was a burden." on no one. I carried my weight, I kept my nose to the grindstone, and I served, 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 served. My actions and my testimony were the same. We're told in Colossians chapter 2, again from Paul, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now Paul's talking in the context of slaves and slave owners. And he tells the slave, the one who was an indentured servant, who had no rights in society, whose life could be taken at any moment under Roman law if the master wanted to kill him. Tough working conditions. And you might say, oh, you have no idea what it was like to work for my boss, Uh, you know. You know what? I know that you might have had a terrible boss, but you had no slave master. Running your life. You didn't. And Paul says even if you have a slave master, you work in such a way that honors God first and foremost. That's who we're serving. That's who we're helping. When we give a lending hand to someone in need, we're not only helping that person, we are demonstrating the character of God, and God is pleased with that service, God is pleased with that work with that lack of idleness. He's pleased. And so that's what brings Paul to say, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And all of a sudden, every terrible job you've ever had can be an amazing job because ultimately you're not working for that human person. You are working for the Lord. And all of a sudden, the funk kind of becomes less funky and less dim and starts to become a little brighter because you know you're not working just for a paycheck to get done for the day and clock out at 5 o'clock and go home but you're working for God. Now what kind of jobs do you think Paul has in mind there in Colossians chapter 2? The kind of work. Pastoral work? Sunday school teacher? I think he's talking about the person who digs the ditch as well as a person who cooks meal, as well as a person who does laundry, as well as a person who runs errands. I don't care what job you come up with, you can do it to God if it is a true, right, honorable job. I mean, there are jobs that are, you know, a bank robber as a profession is not a job that you can work unto the Lord for. But you can in almost every other job. You can work unto the Lord because it's a job that's pleasing to him. It's not a professional ministry job that Paul's talking about. He's talking about jobs you've had. I have been, in my lifetime, a paperboy. I have cleaned restaurant floors. I have been a dishwasher. I have cut grass, shoveled snow, uh, baked pizza. I have, oh, I had a job, and this was just a temporary job. I dressed mannequins at night in department stores. Do you know how absolutely scary that is? I mean, oh, cringy. It's almost as bad as a friend in high school whose father was a mortician, and he grew up doing that kind of stuff. But every job, bank teller, cashier, stalker at a grocery store from like, 10 at night to, to, to 4 in the morning, and then I got up and laid sod for a landscape company that contracted with a city. I mean, miserable jobs, framing houses. And I know this makes me sound like I have skill in those areas. I don't. I was the youngest and always the gopher. I got coffee and donuts. Uh, but I was a framer of houses. And I, oh, I remember one time... Uh, uh, that company that i did framing for in new york gave me t-shirts that said such and such framing and whatever and i walked into in uh i walked into an actual picture framing store and i um needed to get a picture framed i don't know what it was maybe it was a diploma or something and i went to get it framed and i had that shirt on and the guy offered me a job he goes oh do you want a job i said um Yeah, sure, doing what? Well, you're a framer, right? He said, whoa, totally different. If it's a 2 by 4 or a 2 by 8 I can cut that, but you're talking about precision cuts for framing pictures, totally different type of framing, but I could have been a picture framer. The point is, in every one of those jobs and countless other jobs, God can be honored through working for him. So it doesn't matter what job you tell me that you've done, you can do it to the Lord each and every time. And Paul says, that's the person that you grab onto, not the person who is idle, not the person who is disruptive. Stay away from them. They're not going to improve your character. They're going to tear you down. They're going to tear you down. He says there's another good example for a good reason in 2 Thessalonians 3, 9 and 10. He continues in that subject. He goes, we did this. This is how Paul lived, without idleness and without disruption, working unto the Lord. He says, we did this not because we do not have the right for such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were there with you, we gave you this rule The one who was unwilling to work shall not eat. Paul, an apostle called by God, stopped on the road to Emmaus and immediately fell upon his knees. He was called to be supported by the church. And yet he said, I'm not going to demand it even though I could have because I wanted to show you an example of what it's like to live in a way that's not dependent upon someone else, but where you are productive for everyone. And so he says, we did this so that you would find a way to imitate us. And Then he gives us that beautiful rule that he also gives Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. He says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives or their own home, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than than an unbeliever. This person who claims that they know Christ and love Christ and love God's people yet refuses to work, refuses to serve, refuses to be productive. Paul says that person, when he doesn't even do it for his own family, is worse than an unbeliever. The Old Testament is filled with these type of warnings in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is filled with the examples of the ant versus the sluggard. The ant who is always productive, I mean, doesn't have a tail, but they work their tails off, these poor little ants. And the sluggard sits around and goes, eh, it'll all happen. Don't worry about it. Why are you stressed out? Just live for the moment and enjoy what you have. There is so much warning about idleness, and the refusal to serve and do. It is a dangerous thing to get into the mindset that people need to serve me, people need to do for me, and I just sit back and have the ability to criticize and disrupt. Paul says you stay away from that kind of person. Don't let them influence you. He continues and says in verse 11 through 13, 11, 12, and 13 of 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. And you can immediately hear a hush across that entire congregation when someone read that sentence from Paul's letter. Uh Uh-oh. Someone has heard that I am not a great example of living the Christian life and serving. Please take to heart that Paul is writing this to a church in ancient Greece. It's been gone for 1,900 and maybe, maybe 1,900 years. It's, it's been gone. It's no longer been a church. This church did not last long. Well, Thessaloniki did not last long when Rome split its emperors and Point being, Paul's talking to a very specific group of people here. He is not talking to Calvary Church in Pueblo, Colorado in 2020. He's not naming names. He's not looking out here and saying, oh, this person, they're being idle and disruptive. Okay, so I'm not doing that either. But I will let those words marinate with you. I will let those words enter your mind And oh, please, 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 if those words enter your mind, don't think of someone else. Think first and foremost of yourself. Am I the one who is giving? Or am I the one who is saying, give, 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 and criticizing and being disruptive? Don't don't think of other people. Don't start passing that off and judging other people and saying, oh, if only so-and-so was here to hear this. They're the ones who are idle. Oh, but I, I should probably tell them that. What I'll do is I'll do it anonymously and just quickly put a note on their car, oh, don't be idle. No, 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 no. Paul's not saying this so you think of other people. Paul's saying this so you think of yourself. Am I the one that Paul could write to and talk to? Paul says, I know there's people there in the town of Thessaloniki in this small, brand-new, budding church we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busybodies. See, in the person who is idle and disruptive, in their mind, they actually think they're busy, that they're doing a lot, that they are just aggressively going for it. Paul says, no. These people, they're really just busybodies. They're getting in other people's business when they have no need to, and it ends up dividing people, not uniting people. It ends up tearing people down, not encouraging people. It ends up destructive, not constructive. Paul says, look at my example, how constructive I've been. I haven't been a burden on anyone, and I'm not a busybody. I am telling you what God says, so if you've got a problem with that, go talk to God. But I will tell you that the person who thinks they are busy for God's kingdom, yet they don't serve or give, chances are they're a busybody and not busy for the kingdom, but for themselves. Paul says that kind of person, stay away from. In fact, he says in verse 12, such people... We command and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Again, this is a command from God. This isn't Paul's suggestion that you stop what you're doing and get to work and be productive. This is from God. He invokes the name of Jesus Christ. I cannot again think of a higher standard of command Stop doing nothing and thinking you're productive and start doing. And Paul puts it in very human terms, so you can actually eat. So you can eat. I've preached through similar things in the past and I've had people come and ask me, and I want to make sure I clarify this. I don't think I have to, but I think it's good to clarify. We are not talking about people who are retired. Okay? Okay? People who are retired, or maybe they have just, they've done incredibly well in life, and at 35, they've retired. I'm not talking about people who have retired, because those people, you have worked. You have earned every penny that is coming to you through pension, Social Security, whatever it might be. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who is able. I'm talking about the person who is capable. I'm talking about the person who has the time and does nothing. But yet in their mind, they think I'm God's gift to everyone I tell my opinion to, but yet they don't work. Uh, So I'm not talking about the person who's retired and goes, well, I, I don't work right now. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about a lifestyle of someone who does nothing but try to please themselves in every activity. What does it do to please me? What does it do to please me? What does it do to please me? What does it do to take care of me? How can I get others to take care of me? And yet at the same time, they have the beautiful ability to tell everybody else how to live and what's wrong with them. Paul says that type of person needs to stop. By the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to stop that and start working. Start serving. Start giving of yourself. And you will find that that funk that you woke up in, that doldrums, that daisiness, that just blah, soon begins to vanish. Because your eyes aren't on yourself. Your eyes are not critical of others. It starts thinking of how can I serve and love? How can I serve and love? And it's a tremendous switch in our thinking. He continues in that verse 13 with a... a, with something to do, and he says, and as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Never tire of it. Tired is part of our life, right? Tired, tired, tired. Everything wears us down and are tired. If I could tell you the number of times Someone has told me, oh, Tim, oh, Pastor, I'd love to do that. I mean, you know, but I'm, I'm just, I'm tired. I, I, I don't have the energy anymore. I don't have the time anymore. Far more times than someone has said, yes, yes, I'll serve, I'll give, I'll do. Far more I've heard, I can't, I'm tired, I'm tired, I've got too much stuff to do. Paul says, Everyone, you are not unique in this Christian life and experience of being tired and being drained. There is a remarkable thing that happens when you are physically and mentally exhausted. When you love on someone and give of yourself to that person, even when it is hard, you will come away still being tired. All right? Still maybe not having a lot of money. You still may not have any time, but the feeling of gratitude and satisfaction of stepping up to the plate and doing it even when it's hard is immensely gratifying, immensely gratifying. Vince Lombardi, people have heard of Vince Lombardi. Uh, He coached a, a rather errant football team called the Green Bay Packers, being Chicago. I have love for Vince Lombardi, but the Green Bay Packers. A whole other story. But Vince Lombardi has this motivational speech. And it's long. It's it's about four or five paragraphs long. You can find it online. It's fantastic. But he basically says it really doesn't matter if you win or lose. What matters is if you give yourself to that game. And he applied it to all of life. If you give yourself to life to the point where you lay exhausted on the field of battle, you may be defeated, but if you know that you gave everything to that passion and task, and yet you lay defeated on the field exhausted, you can be proud of that. But he says it's the person who thinks they gave everything and comes out defeated, and yet they can walk off the field without help, because that's the person who will go home feeling miserable even if you defeat, even if you are broken, even if you have no time or energy, but yet you give it all, all in service to God, Paul says don't stop doing good because he knows there's that tendency to stop when it starts to hurt and stop when it starts to cost you. Paul says don't let it stop. Don't let it stop. Look up that speech, and I know that I butchered it, but it's an amazing, encouraging speech, and it's not just for football teams. It's for giving yourself to whatever task you've been given. If it's doing laundry, I think it can be incredibly uplifting and motivational to encourage you to give it your all and not stop halfway and not become what Paul says is the idle busybody, the one who is disruptive and one who causes strife. Now, he continues... Uh, not only to warn us of the danger of busy buddies, but to tell us more in verse 14 through 15 about some of the character we need to apply to ourselves, fellowship and friendship. He says, Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Paul never made it back to the church, but he kept telling them, I want to come back, I want to come back, I want to come back. But... Doesn't the fact that Paul's asking for the church to be mindful and take special note of the people who are like this, the idle, busybodies. That's almost, and and I know this person is probably the most hated person in the classroom. It's the monitor. You ever have a teacher leave the classroom and put someone in charge and say, write down anyone who talks? Oh, they're a snitch. And what happens to snitches? Funny story, funny story. If you have Google at home, Google Voice, and you ask them, so what happens to snitches, Google? You know what they'll say? They get stitches. Paul's not trying to get stitches for anyone, but Paul is saying there's this sense of accountability. That if someone is in this character where they are lazy, where they don't work, where they are busy buddies, where they're butting into other people's business, and they're disruptive to the community of God's people, you better take special note of them. Know who they are. That's a great warning for us. That person is like that. Maybe that's not the person that I want to hang out with. Maybe that's not the person I want influencing my family. Now I need to love them and serve them and encourage them. Yes, Paul's not discounting that. But Paul's saying there's a danger here with that kind of person. That kind of person can be destructive. Take note of them. So Paul immediately has made this huge accountability circle. And those accountability circles help me, at least, do one thing. Make sure I'm not on that list. Make sure I am active and not disruptive and not a busybody and not putting my nose in other people's business and not just pontificating my opinion on everything, which is so very hard because I know I could solve the world's problems if they just listened. Or if I was king. If I was king, I could probably do that. So if we think that we're kings or queens that might be one of those warning signs where Paul says, take special note. They think they're special. They are special before God as a creature and part of His kingdom. But when you start lifting yourself up as, well, I'm special and need to be heard, Paul says maybe we need to take special note of that because in verse 15 he says, yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. You don't ostracize them. You don't kick them out. You don't then become like them, making fun of them and disrupting them and being a busybody in their life. You don't treat them like an enemy. Instead, you warn them as you would a fellow believer. You talk. You dialogue. You say, hey, I hear you say a lot of things, How are you loving on God's people? How are you serving the community? I mean, you're constantly criticizing all the homeless. What are you doing? How how are you handling it? How do you approach it? I know you're complaining all about this. How, How are you handling that? How are you doing this? Can we do it together? I know you're always saying nothing gets done. Can we do something together? Can we volunteer together and get it done? See, Paul just doesn't simply cast them aside and say, forget them. They missed the boat. He says, in your capacity, you love on them, you treat them with honor and respect just like you would everyone else, and you bring them in front of God's Word and say, hey, how can can we live this out together? How can I be a better example for you? How can you be a better example for us? Because I think if Paul was thinking of you when he wrote this, He might even name you by name. That's how certain I am that you might be in this situation. So how do we get out of it? That's not being judgmental. That's not being a gossip or a slanderer because you're going to that individual, not other people about it. You go to that person and you say, hey, I don't see all this lining up all the time. Help me understand it. You treat them as a fellow believer in Christ. You're not an attorney attacking them as a counsel. You're a brother and sister who's loving on them to bring them back into being productive, serving people in God's kingdom. And God will honor that. So as a take home, think about this last question. How can we show ourselves or how can you show yourself that you are givers and not takers. Paul's example was a giver. I give, I give, I give, and I don't even demand anything in return, even though I could demand it. How do you show yourselves as a giver? That's what God's called us to. And I know from personal example, as you do that, as you follow that, as you fulfill that, the funk of every day living this life in a fallen world, that funk and that blah can disappear. It doesn't go away. doesn't go away until heaven. But those blah moments, they can be smaller and smaller and less influential in your life as you follow Paul's advice and God's word and be doers of the word not just hearers, but doers. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful, and we are pleased, Lord, that you you overwhelm us with patience, mercy, and kindness. Help us, Father, to be doers and lovers of your word, not just hearers, but doers. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen. I totally apologize for going late this morning.